All right. Good morning, church. Good to see uh, each of you here this morning. Uh, just want to make you aware of two items that are on the welcome table in the back. One is the uh, Thanksgiving prayer initiative that Pastor James put together. Uh, that will give you uh, daily uh, reasons for giving gratitude. And then also on the table when you come in, there is an announcement sheet, kind of our bulletin on one page that gives you a list of various activities that are taking place during the week. So just want you all to be aware of those things and uh, just take the opportunity to look through that. We have a number of programs. One of the things that is happening on November 13th is uh, Community Blend is doing a day of refreshment for women from 9 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Jewel Up will be leading that. Uh, if you have any interest in that, there's a sign-up sheet on the table out in the foyer, and I'm sure that would be a really nice day of encouragement for your heart. So if you're uh, free for that and would like to participate in that, we want to encourage you to take advantage of that. My favorite gospel verse is 1 Peter 3:18. It says, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So if you're here this morning and you feel a palpable sense of your own sin. We want you to know that in Christ, there is hope for you. Uh, because every person in this room comes from the same place. And that is that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God and need a beautiful and glorious Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. And this morning, in our season of worship and song, we will be singing to the praise of His glory. And I hope that the truth that we sing will become a proclamation, a gospel proclamation from your heart to the praise and glory of God. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Our Father, as we come before you, we are grateful for the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you put no burden on us this morning as we come to perform, to appease, to add to what Christ did. Thank you that what Christ has done for us is marvelous and beautiful and complete. God, thank you that you, by the Holy Spirit, make that truth true for us, that you make it clear for us, that you declare it to us so that we know the glorious riches of our salvation in Christ. So, Holy Spirit, as we meet this morning, we pray that you will minister truth to our hearts and make truth clear for your glory. We lift up uh, Diana Kelly this morning before you, Father, and just pray your peace over her today. God, I pray that your uh, spirit would, would just be speaking the, the very glorious truths of the gospel into her life as hope and encouragement. And Lord, my simple prayer for her is that her, that she would experience your healing touch, God. That's what we ask. That's what we desire. It's what we pray for. And also, Lord, for the Dean family, as Dave uh, has some uh, operations that need to take place and is struggling with uh, some physical heart issues, we pray favor over him and Nita. God, even though they're a distance away from us, we lift them before you and pray that they would just sense in a really serious way today your love and grace and mercy. Uh, meet with us here, Lord. We need to hear from you. So I pray that as James brings your word today, that you would add clarity to it and uh, that, that we would just grasp it in a way that would change our lives. And we pray that our worship today would glorify and exalt you. We pray these blessings in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him.
morning, everyone. To join us in singing, praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Let's sing, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is What love could remember? What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omnational knowing he counts not their soul. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. would wait. What patience would wait as we constantly roam. What father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the was the cause we stood beneath the dead we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more praise the lord his mercy is more
says, join the house of the Lord today. Let's sing, we worship the God who was. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. We sing. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung upon that cross. And he rose up from that grave. My God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. No, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. No, we shout out your praise. We were the beggars. We were the beggars. Now we're royal. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted. And we won't be quiet. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars. Now we're we were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. 
Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Hallelujah. of this world. All the worries of this world. I will lay them down now at your feet. I give up every anxious thought for perfect peace. Your perfect peace. All the loved ones. All the loved ones I hold dear, all my hopes and dreams and all my fears, I will choose to trust your name in everything, with everything. I will look up. take you at your word. I will take you at your word. Jesus, you have taken hold of me. All my life is in your hands. You are my Yes, you are, Lord. You are my strength. I will look up.
things will not be easy. Things have not been easy in our lives. That's why we're here. It's because things are not easy. We need hope and we need help. And we can make plans, Lord, but you direct our steps. God, we thank you for this time of worship that we can sing to you, that we can encourage each other by listening as we sing. And God, we ask your blessing now on Pastor James as he brings your word. May it come alive this morning. God, we thank you for this time of worship. This in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, children. You could be dismissed for junior church. And for the rest of us, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1, and we are going to be looking at verses 15 to the end of the chapter. Just thinking about this, why do we do what we do? Why, why do we come to church? Why do we gather together? You know, when you, when you think about it, there are people that have gathered already. Uh, there are people that are gathering right now. And there are people that will gather sometime today to do something. I guess they come to church. Some come to church because it's ritualistic, something that they need to do. Some people come to church because it's their tradition. Some people come to church because they've been pulled there by somebody else. Uh, Some people, I guess, go to church because they think that that's going to appease God. But I guess the question is, why do we gather on a Sunday morning? I want you to think about that. What is it that makes our gathering 
and hopefully other biblical gatherings around this area and around the world, what makes it different? And it makes it different uh, because we have a historical faith and we have a present reality. I want you to think about that. There is something that we worship, and there's someone that we worship, and there is something that happened at a specific time, in a specific place in our past, and there is something that is happening today in reality. And there's a future glory, so there's a historical fact, there's present reality, but there's a future glory. I want you to think of each one of those levels as we come to this passage this morning. In Ephesians chapter 1, Pastor Tim got us started with it last week. I just want to read this opening section because I think it flows right into the section we're going to be looking at this morning. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of this world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace with which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It was the guarantee of our inheritance until we obtain a possession of it to the praise of his glory. So if you remember Pastor Tim's outline from last week, he spoke of the fact that the Father was the one that adopted us. It was Jesus Christ, the Son, who redeemed us, and that we find our security in the work of the Holy Spirit. Those, the triune God was at work in your salvation, and that should bring you great praise and glory. I mean, you should be just every day just reveling in that. You know, this week, I've been trying to rememorize this uh, Joe DePinto and I tried memorizing this book uh, several years ago, and it's like, oh, wow, it's gone. <laughs> so uh, I have made it my aim. You can hold me accountable to this, that I want to memorize this book over the months that we are together um, working through this book. So as um, so I was going through this and going back through this idea of these blessings, I mean, it's just he chose you. He adopted you. He's blessed you in the glorious grace. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He lavished all wisdom and insight upon us. In him we have obtained an inheritance. He sealed us. He's guaranteed our inheritance. 
And brothers and sisters, when you think about your salvation, there's only one place you can go with your glory. It's only one place you can go with your praise. It's the only one place you can go with your thanksgiving, and it's got to be vertical. It's got to be to God. And so, so Paul begins this one, as Tim told us last week, this run, one long run-on sentence in the Greek. He's just bursting forth with praise. Now he gives you one very long run-on sentence in the Greek in his prayer. I want to pray this over us as we begin our time, and then I want to work through this prayer with you, verses 15 and following. So would you pray with me? For this reason, uh, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He has put all things under his feet, and in him as head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's the sufficient, eternal, life-giving, and life-changing word. So this, this prayer has three parts. Uh, the first part is Paul is praising God and thanking him for what God has done for the Ephesian believers. So we'll look at that. Then he gives this petition, and he's going to offer this petition right in the middle, and he's going to pray that God continue his work in the Ephesian believers and that he wants them to do something in them and then through them. And then he ends with praise for Christ's exalted place in their lives. So those are the three measures that we'll look at here. Let's start with the first one, his thanksgiving, verses 15 and following. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards the saints. He starts by saying, for this reason. He begins with looking back, looking back at those verses that we just read, the 3 through 14, the amazing thing of what God has done. He looks back, which is good to do in our prayers. It is good to look back at things that are happening in the past and that have happened in the past. But he doesn't simply look back at what has happened in the past. He is looking presently at what is happening in their lives. And he's saying, and he's looking future. So he says, for this reason, there is a reason for his prayer. And he says, because I've heard of your faith and the love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had planted this church years before, but it's been years since he's been back with them, maybe five years or more, that he has not been there with them. So now he's getting these reports, and it got me thinking about the chapel at Warren Valley. If, if the person had planted our church years ago, if it was the Apostle Paul that planted our church years ago, listened back and started to hear reports of the chapel at Warren Valley, what would he hear about our church? I would hope that he would hear something similar to what he heard about from the Ephesian church. It says, I've heard, I've heard reports of your faith. 
Your faith. What is it about faith? It's interesting that many people today use this idea of faith and spirituality. But this is different. When he says, I've heard of your faith, it was a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and an object. There was a person that they were focusing on. It was not just this amorphous faith or this amorphous spirituality. There was somebody that they placed their faith and trust in. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. But it wasn't just that they had an object to their faith. It was something about their fact that they lived a out their faith. Their faith could be seen in the way they spoke to one another, how they treated one another, how they lived their lives. They lived Christ-centered lives. And that's so important for us as believers. Would people hear from us and see in our lives Christ? See, that's what makes a church a church. That we're here really for only one reason, is to shine a light in this dark world, a light of Christ, that Christ comes in us and then lives through us. Galatians 2.20 says, For I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That Christ wants to display himself through you and through this church. So Paul said, I heard of your faith. Their faith was real. Their faith was active. Their faith was observable. So many people today talk about faith as being personal. And, and it may be. But as one pastor said, your faith is never private. See, we weren't here to have a private faith. We are here to have a public faith that is represented in how we live so that we live differently so that the world will see Christ. So their faith was so important. And what he was seeing is what? He was seeing faith. He was seeing faith, not only in new converts, one of the great things that we had over these last two baptisms are people that had drawn to faith just recently and saying, you know what, I I met with this person, I heard, I had these challenges, and then Christ drew me to faith through his Holy Spirit. And then they go into the waters of baptism to symbolize that we have had new converts. But then it's not only just new converts, it's also people growing. People that have been in the faith for years, hopefully are growing in that faith because they are learning more about God. So Paul begins by saying that I see your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then he says he sees something else. I see your love. I hear of your love for all the saints. So important. Andrew Lincoln said this, the recipients of this letter had an attitude of solidarity and concern for the welfare of other believers. Their love was a love that was so apparent that people could see something different. In fact, if you go back to John chapter 13, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he said this. He talked about a new commandment, verse 34, I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. And then, watch this, this is powerful. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. In, in chapter 15, verse 12, it says, This is my commandment, that, I, that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love had no one than this, that he lays down his life for my friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I call you friends. 
for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That what God did for us is he sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for you to live in you and then to display Christ into this world. What, a, what an amazing thing. So when Paul says, for this reason... I heard of your growing faith, new converts, and growing faith and maturity, and I saw your love. But this word got me, all the saints. See, for some of us, it's easy to love certain people because they kind of fit into our personality. We feel comfortable with them. But that's not what the Ephesian church was. The Ephesians church was so gospel-saturated that they loved all. And not just the people in Ephesus. I mean, there are people here in our church that you probably feel more comfortable with, and there are people in our church that you may not feel as comfortable with. But gospel says, love them. Love them. And not only Washington, New Jersey, not only Warren County, but the world. One of the things that I really appreciate about our church is that we we have local places that we minister to and we give to and we serve. They're regional places as well. And they're global places where this church wants to help other ministries get the love of God out. Well, that's what Paul saw. He saw that they loved all the saints. Verse 16, he says, but I, I do not cease to give you thanks, to give thanks for you. Paul must have had an incredible prayer life because, you know, he talks about pray without ceasing. And he says here, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He said that in Romans. He said that in 1 Corinthians. He said that to Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He said it to Philemon. There were people and churches that Paul prayed for consistently. It's one of the sad things about modern church is that I think we've given up prayer. As I was uh, preparing this message this week, it was, it was shaming me. I think I pray often, but I don't pray hours like some of the people do. Paul, probably following Hebrew tradition, prayed in the morning, prayed at midday, prayed in the evening. And if, he, if we're taking him at his word, he prayed for hundreds of people. He prayed for tons of churches. Churches that he had not been at for years, decades. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. That is just amazing. And he says, I don't cease to stop praying for you. And then giving thanks. Paul, when he considered what God had done, he could not stop giving thanks for the power that God had done in them to bring them to salvation, and now what he's doing to change them by growing faith and deepening love for one another. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So I got one finger out, three fingers point back. How much time do you spend praising God for what he has done in your life? How much time do you spend praising God and thanking God for what he's done in this church or in this area. See, the power of this church was going to be found in the fact they were places of prayer. They were faith-filled, love-filled, prayer-filled, praise-filled churches. 
And that was representative of life that is living in them and life that is coming out of them. He says, I remember you in my prayers. Amazing prayer list. I mean, I can't even imagine the prayer list that Paul had. I'm constantly remembering you, remembering you, remembering you in my prayers. And he says in verse 17, he says that, here's the content of his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, so he's going back to verse 3, all the way back to verse 3, it's, he had said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, there is an object to our faith, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we, the Father is drawing us to Christ. He wants us to see Christ and savor Christ and be overwhelmed with Christ to worship him. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I won't take time to um, turn to it, but, but this theme keeps coming out in, in the Psalms. In Psalm 24, it talks about God being the king of glory, verses 7 through 10. In Psalm 29, it says that God is the God of glory, Psalm 29, verses 1 through 3. So, so Paul is saying that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, hear these terms, hear these titles. The God that you serve and the God that you worship is not some small deity. He is the amazing King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of glory. I get caught up with these two words, Father and glory. We, we talk in, in theology about the imminence of God. And the imminence of God is, is, is his nearness to you. That God comes to you like a father. We get to call him, as Paul said in Romans, Abba, Daddy, Father. That this God loves you and cares for you and wants to protect you. If he cares for a sparrow, he cares for you. Amazing. Some of you today need to hear that God loves you and cares for you and speaks tenderly to you. He's a father. But don't misunderstand this. He's not just a father. He's the father of glory. See, his imminence, that he's close to us, he's near to us, sees his transcendence, he is glory. In Hebrews, uh, in the Hebrew language, glory tends to mean this level of heaviness and weightiness. It is this sense of gravity that happens in our lives. In the Greek, it's a little bit different. In the Greek, there is this sense of doxa, glory, majesty, brilliance, radiance. And I'd like to take those two things together. That when you're trying to describe the glory of God, it's not just that he's transcended, he's weighty, he's heavy, but he is bright, he is splendid, he is radiant, he is honorable. That is your God. And that God comes to you as a father. And so Paul is praying that not only may he give you that, the father of glory, but he is also praying that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
you can talk to Doug about this since he's the theologian, but um, I guess there is a debate over whether this is spirit, capital S, or spirit, lowercase s, in verse 17, the spirit of wisdom. Some think it is a spirit that God has given us, that inside of us, our spirit, we have wisdom and revelation. Um, others would say this, this is the Holy Spirit who gives spirit wisdom and revelation. And I don't think it makes a difference. I tend to lean that he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And I could see the Trinity like Tim was talking about last week. Um, I could see the Trinity here. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit right here. And I think that's what Paul is doing. But if this is a human spirit... The only place that we get wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God comes from the Holy Spirit, so that's why it doesn't make a big difference to me. The reality is is that um, the wisdom, which is understanding. You know, we've been spending some time in those Proverbs just recently, and in the Proverbs, wisdom is talked about the application of truth, in essence, is wisdom. But that's not what Paul thinks about when he's talking about wisdom. When he talks about wisdom, he is talking about an understanding of Christ and an understanding of the gospel. See, that's wisdom. And if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 through chapter 2, verse 12, if you get some time later this uh, this afternoon, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 through 2, verse 12, it clearly talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit is giving wisdom that is connected to Christ. So that the more that we understand the gospel, the more that we understand Christ and his work, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his glory, the more that we can understand him, the more that we understand that, the more we will grow in wisdom. He says revelation here, and of revelation Revelation, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired human authors, maybe 40 or more human authors, to write this book that is 66 books long, 1,500 or more years, three different languages. This, this amazing book that God has given us, the Holy Spirit inspired human authors so that as they write, their personality came out, but it was the very word of God. He doesn't inspire us that way. But what he does is he illuminates us. He opens our eyes to be able to see this. He opens our eyes to be able to see and reveal truth and understanding. He opens our eyes to be able to see the glory of his name. That's what he does. And what Paul is saying is this. I want the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father imminent, glory transcendent, the spirit to give you wisdom of Christ and the cross and the gospel and revelation, more illumination, more revelation, more truth, more understanding of who God is and to see all the benefits that you have in Christ. You're not a pauper. You are rich, amazingly, in Christ. The revelation in the knowledge of him See, this is it right here. If you want to circle one phrase, it's the knowledge of God. That the more we know God, the more that we are, uh, grow to know him. You know, in a moment today, we could get more information in a millisecond than Calvin or Luther or Edwards or Spurgeon or all these great guys I love um, 
They could not get that information that I could get in two seconds. But it's not about information. It's about transformation. It's not just knowing information about God. It is knowing him intimately. It's interesting that as you think of the word in the Greeks, when they looked at the word knowledge, the Greeks talked about the accumulation of facts and information. But when the Hebrews thought about knowledge, they talked about it in the most intimate ways, a husband and a wife knowing each other intimately. And so what he's saying is this, I want you to grow personally and intimately with God. See, as you get to know the Father of glory and as you get to know wisdom of Christ and his cross and gospel glory and you receive greater and greater illumination by the Holy Spirit, you grow in a greater knowledge of him. We need to know God more and more. I don't know if any of you read the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I love that book. And so if you've never read it, read it. But I want you to find big books about a big God. Learn about him. Grow in him. And as the more you get to know about his, his character and the way he thinks, he transforms you and he changes you. And he wants to do something amazing in and through your life. Verse 18. Continuing about the Holy Spirit. Not only wisdom, revelation, knowledge of him, but the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. The eyes of your heart. Interesting. It's not the physical eyes. He's talking about a spiritual sense. That there is this spiritual sense that is happening within you, that God is doing something in you so that he can do something through you. I lost my note. There it is. This spiritual sense of this wisdom of what God is doing in your life. And he's talking in essence, and once again, this is Greek. I think it's in the perfect participle. And it's talking about this fact of a past tense thing that has happened, your conversion. And then it's talking about this continuing and ongoing result what God is continuing to do. So what God has done in your past to draw you to faith and then what God is continuing to do in your life. Your mental perception is huge. When the Bible talks about heart, it's talking about what you think. It's talking about what you desire. It talks about how you act. And that's what your heart is. It's not the physical thing beating in your chest. It is who you are in essence. That the eyes of your heart be enlightened. So it's your emotions. It's your mind. It's your actions. But I, Paul is talking primarily here about your mind. He is saying you need to have a spiritually based mind. You know, one of the sad things today is that many Christians are more worldly in their thinking than they are biblical in their thinking. They're more worldly in their beliefs than they are biblical and gospel-centered in it. And Paul is praying for his Ephesian believers, but he's also praying for us, is that the eyes of our heart that God is praying over us is that the eyes of our heart be enlightened, that your perceptions make such a difference. I sit in counseling offices day after day, 
listening to people who are believing lies about themselves, about God, about their duty, why they're here, and they are living in such pain and bondage and fear and insecurity, and they're missing Christ. Do you actually think about what you think about? (laughs) Too many of us are focused on our feelings. Too many of us are focused on our experiences. Too little of us are focused on the Christian mind. The Christian faith is not just a feeling. The Christian faith is not an experience. The Christian faith is an objective sense of truth. That is why God has given you 66 books. There is a historical fact. There was a man, Christ. He lived. He died. He rose. He ascended. These are historical facts that you need to believe deeply in your heart. What captivates your mind today? What captures your thoughts? What influences the way you think? So Paul says, I want the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened that you may know, once again, knowing information, more than just information, intimately. And then there are three what's here. What is the hope to which you've called? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe? You know, there's so much here, I don't even know. Um, I could probably preach five or six sermons on this. So I'll keep it down to one. No, first, huge doctrine, the hope of your calling. As Tim preached last week, in eternity past, God planned your salvation. The Father planned it. In the past, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ provided for your salvation. The Holy Spirit is the promise of your, holy, of your salvation. This hope is not a cross your fingers, I really hope. See, see, when we talk about hope in our language, it is filled with doubt. I really hope the Giants win today. That laughter tells me that they don't have a chance. (laughs) But where do you place your hope? See, biblical hope is about a confident expectation. It's about a certainty. See, if God can speak this world into existence, if he can hold this universe in the palm of his hands, if he can order the stars, if he can keep us close enough to the sun that we're heated, but far enough away that we don't get burned up, if he could, if he could transform us and bring his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to rescue you, that God who can control all those things should give you hope. For a Christian, why do we panic? Why do we get afraid? Some of you are encountering despair and desperation today. Some of you are so discouraged, so despondent, so fearful today. And I can guarantee you, at that moment in time, the thing that you are worried about is bigger than the God who is with you. See him as big. 
See him as glorious. When you encounter God for his purpose, you encounter his presence in your life, you encounter the power that lives in you. Know that truth. Apply that truth in your life. That's what Paul wants here. Paul is saying, I want the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened to know hope. See, what this world doesn't have is hope. And what we should have, because of a risen Savior, an ascended Lord, one who's coming back, we should have hope and certainty. But then he doesn't just say the hope. He says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That the church becomes God's inheritance. Can you imagine this when we think about this? I guess it's either, I guess this could be debated as well. Is this the inheritance that we receive from God? Or is this God's inheritance of us? I think it's both. I think we've received blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing that we saw in verses 3 through 14. But then God, God gives us the bride to his son. He says, here, here's the inheritance I give you. See, you belong to God. People may reject you. People may leave you. People may hurt you. People may harm you. But you, if you are in Christ, belong to God. Let that just rest over you. The riches. Some of us live as paupers spiritually. We are not paupers spiritually. We may be paupers financially in this world, but we are not paupers spiritually. You have wealth in heaven that is available to you right now. What is the immeasurable riches of his glorious grace? And then he goes and then he pours one word after another, after another, after another, trying to describe the power that is available to you. He says, what is the immense power that it works in you? He says in verse 18, the end of 18, the riches of glorious grace. And then the third, what is the immeasurable greatness? Verse 19, immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. He's just pouring one word after another, after another, talking about God's power. Immeasurable, can't measure it. Greatness, power, working, great might. That God is at work in you. God's amazing power that he poured forth is an amazing resource for you as believers. You are not weak without, with Christ. Know his almighty power. Know his limitless power. Know his amazing power that is at work within you. See, that amazing power can do amazing things in your life. The devil will tempt you. The devil will lie to you. The devil will try to, try to accuse you. But the Holy Spirit wants to remind you. Dynamite power lives in you. Verse 20. That he worked, another power word, in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. It got me thinking, you know, if I were to be asked about a display of God's power, what would be the thing that would come to my mind? What would come to your mind? 
See, if I thought about the display of God's power, I probably would think about the stars. I would think about the planets. I would think about um, even salvation. You know, he took me from dead to life. He took me from blindness to seeing. He took me from deafness to hearing spiritually. He did this amazing thing in my life. Uh, I was on a broad path to destruction, and he brought me near to him. I was in a broken family, and he brought me into a family of God, into the family of God. Just amazing. But Paul said, if I thought about all of the power display of God in the universe, it wasn't creation, it wasn't even your salvation, the greatest power display he thought about was the resurrection. It got me wondering, Why? Why not creation? Why not his omnipotence? Why the resurrection? Death is a um, scary thing for all of us. There is not a person in this room, if we're being honest, that is looking forward to death. None of us do. We fight it. We go against it. But fight as we must. All of us are going to experience it. Some of us talk about death as being natural. It's not natural. It's natural since Genesis 3, but this is not the way God had ultimately wanted it for you. That God, if we were back into the garden, we would have had eternal life. But we as human beings chose to rebel against him. And in God's sovereign plan, God allowed for that. And God says that the wages of sin is death. Death comes. Death comes as an enemy. It is something that we fear. It's something that we dread. It is something that we fight. And I don't want to scare anybody, but every single person I'm looking at here in this room is going to take your last breath. And Paul looked at death, this amazing enemy, the greatest thing that this world and Satan can bring against us. And he says this, God's power is at work because he raised Christ from the dead. See, historically, Jesus Christ walked on earth. Jesus Christ bled on a cross. Jesus Christ rose victoriously. O death, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who's given us victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Christ's resurrection, the resurrection power that took that body and brought it to life is the same power that works in you. So you don't have to fear. None of us want to die. I'm not trying to tell you that we're supposed to be jumping for joy over this. But I can tell you a millisecond after I take my last breath, I'm standing before my Savior. What an amazing truth that is. He worked in us to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Not only did he raise Christ 
from the dead. Power. Christ lived, he died, he went into a tomb, he was raised, and now he's seated in session, they call it in session, or enthroned. And from that throne, he is reigning and ruling. And he is bringing his children into the family. Day after day, he is saving people. And then day after day, he gives his Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to grow you, so that you look more and more like him, so that you go out into the world and more people will come to faith. Go out into the world and more people will come to faith. And he's raised him from the dead. That power is now enthroned in heaven. Jesus Christ. And Paul can't get over it. Paul is saying he's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Once again, there are a bunch of sermons there. The spiritual forces that are against you may attack you, but they have no ability that Christ cannot conquer. There is no authority, political authority. There is no authority, family, friends. There is no authority, church, That is over Christ. Christ is the head. He is the source. He is the ultimate. Let Christ give you rest today. In a world that's chaotic and confused, let him give you peace and rest. God the Father has put all things under Christ's feet. And he gave him head over the church. Over all things. So Paul went from thanking God for what he's done to these petitions for the believers. And then he talks about Christ. Christ has been risen from the dead. He's given a place of enthronement. And now he's been placed as head. Tim, Doug, and I and the elders are not the head of this church. We are under shepherds. The ultimate head of this growing body of believers is Christ. And what does the head do? The head gives knowledge, the head nourishes. What Christ does is he nourishes us. He fills us. He speaks to us. He teaches us. But he needs, he needs you to work for him. His head, we are his body. And what he does is he, he fills us with the fullness of him in all things. And that's another um, question that people have. Is, are we filling Christ or is he filling us? I tend to think that he's filling us so that we will fill the world. So I want you to think about this prayer. Paul begins this prayer by becoming overwhelmed with praise for what God has done. I want you to think about that. Paul goes back and reminds himself of the salvation that God has wrought. I need you to day after day think about the salvation that God has given you. And just praise him, praise him, praise him. Because praise and prayer go together. Praise and prayer go together even to a sovereign God. This sovereign God has brought you here today. And this sovereign God is at work in you. And the sovereign God wants to grow you today. So many of you are people of prayer. I use an acrostic. You probably have heard of it. It's called the Acts acrostic in my prayers. I begin with adoring God for who he is. I, I then move to confession for 
looking at the sins, I see who God is and I see my sin and it's like, God, I am so wrong. And then from there, I just thank him for all that he's done for me, blessing after blessing, and then we move to supplication. Supplication is petitions. I think far too often our prayers are so caught up in petitions and we miss the praise part, the adoration and the confession part. I'd encourage you to do that. You know, in my praise time, I use this simple formula. I call it ABC. It's just really simple. It may sound foolish to you. I actually take a letter from the alphabet, and I think of a characteristic of God, a biblical characteristic of God, and I pray it back to him. Thank you, God, that you're an amazing God, and that you're aware of me, and you're available to me. Thank you for your beauty. Thank you for your care and your compassion. Thank you that you're the deliverer. Thank you for eternal life and thank you for forgiveness and faithfulness. Thank you for your grace and your goodness to me. And you're holy and I'm so unholy and you're making me holy. And your immutability and you're just and you're king of kings and you're lord of lords and you're majestic and you're near and you're omnipotent and omnipresent. As you go through the alphabet, I mean, you could think of characteristic of characteristic and you go through those letters of the alphabet and make God big in your life because there already is. Just let your eyes of your heart be enlightened. I love the Psalms. Um, shameless plug for my Psalm study this evening. Doug's Wednesday night prayer meeting. In your groups, spend time in prayer. Don't just meet with one another as men and women. Spend time in prayer. Make God big and remember what he has done for you. I want to close with this. There was a ministry called Ligonier Ministries and they came out with this statement of Christology and I just want to read it for you as we leave. And I want you to think about the Christ that we are called to exalt today. We confess the mysteries and wonders of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, he became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived among us, crucified, dead, buried, and rose again on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and in judgment. For us, he, Christ, kept the law, atoned for sins, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. That means he speaks truth, and like the worker would go in, the priest would go in and slaughter an animal. Jesus Christ didn't slaughter an animal. He allowed himself to die for you. He's prophet, priest, and he's king of kings, lord of lords, building his church, interceding for you. He's praying for you right now. He reigns over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his no holy name forever. Let that God give you rest, comfort, power, knowledge, center on him today. Lord, Paul is uh, overwhelmed, Lord, with uh, the beauty of 
the salvation that you had wrought in Christ. Father, as we've already heard, you planned our salvation before this world ever began. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, you took on human flesh. You were always, always God, but you took on a human nature 2,000 years ago. You lived, you died, you were buried, your body was buried, and you rose again for us. And amazingly, your, your father took you to heaven, ascended like a great coronation, and he took you and seated you at his right hand right now in honor and majesty and authority. And you send us your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, to save us, to sanctify us. So, Lord, today I pray that you would help us to see you as big and be overwhelmed with the gospel. Help us not to fear Help us not to be overwhelmed. Help us not to live in dread. Help us, as Paul did, praise you, pray to you, because you're the sovereign and good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. fear my faith will fail Christ will hold me fast when the tempter would prevail he will hold me fast I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold He must hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast And those He saves Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me My life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to 
side when he comes at last he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my savior loves me so he will hold me fast and he will hold me fast he will hold me fast for my savior loves me so he will hold me fast yes lord this morning we give you praise and the glory may we make you big this week god we thank you for pastor james sermon that challenges us not to think of you through a small lens, Lord, but to look at you as vast and great, which we know you are, Lord, but may that be true in our lives. May we live that way this week, God. We thank you for this time that we could be together. Be with us as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.